Welcome to the Teach Strong podcast. My name's Sam Hart. I'm a primary school teacher on a mission to help school staff discover truly effective approaches to well-being. And this show is a platform for me to bring you the knowledge and experience of real experts who can break down the research and the tools that we can apply to our everyday lives to feel happier and healthier. In this episode, I talked to Dr. Yami Kavola Lancaster. Don't know if I pronounced that right. I tried to give it a bit of a Spanish spin, but there we go. <laughs> Dr. Yami is a board-certified paediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, health and wellness coach, and a mother of two active and healthy boys. Dr. Yami works in many different capacities as a paediatrician, an author, a speaker, a coach. And today I want to talk to her about her biggest passion, helping families with children eat the healthiest foods possible. There is an increasing interest in whole food plant-based diets. Many people are hearing about positive benefits this way of eating can have on their health and the health of the planet. However, those with children and pregnant or breastfeeding women might be concerned that if they change their diet, they won't be getting the nutrients they need or their children won't be getting the nutrients they need. So this conversation is all about discussing these concerns. What does the research say about plant-based diets and children? Will children or mothers be putting themselves at risk if they eat less or no animal products and more plants? And are there any key nutrients we should focus on? Also, what is it like raising plant-based children? And are there any kind of go-to foods or recipes that we should be trying? Okay, enjoy the conversation. Okay, finally, Yami. I think we've got there. Yay! So Strong exciting. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> a few technical difficulties, but it looks like we are good to go. And I am so grateful and excited to uh, have you on the show to chat about your experience and your knowledge around plant-based eating and especially around kids as well. So if I can just get straight to it and say... The, I, I know at the moment it's still very common to hear the advice being given to women about their diet during pregnancy and breastfeeding, um, what they should and shouldn't be feeding their children as well. I think we hear fem- family, friends and even doctors that don't hesitate to offer this kind of nutritional advice, do they? And so understandably, many people are concerned about whether they will be getting the right nutrients and will their children be getting the right nutrients. So I want to start with, well, what is the official position of, you know, health and dietary organizations? What do they say about a plant-based diet for women? Well, thank you so much for having me, Sam. It's such a pleasure and honor to be here. And this is my favorite thing to talk about. So I know I'm going to have a lot of fun talking to you today. And before I even talk about plant-based diets, I want to remind all parents and all people listening to this episode today that being a parent is hard. And whether you're raising your child omnivorous, plant-based, or whatever kind of lifestyle you want to do, you're going to get criticism. And you're going to get input unsolicited from a variety of people, whether it's friends, family, health professionals, or whatever. I have a friend yesterday that told me that she has been told by several friends that her baby is too skinny and so she should give her baby formula. And she is not plant-based. She's omnivorous and her baby's fine. So just know that as parents, 
we're going to get all kinds of advice and we have to stand strong in our decisions because it's easy to get toppled over when person after person is criticizing you and telling you what to do. So I'll start with that first. But as far as plant-based nutrition, you know, the American Academy of Dietetics, I don't know if that's even their official name, but the United States Organization for Dietitians Canada, UK, Italy, I mean, several large dietetic organizations in the world have said that eating a plant-based diet is safe and it is doable at all stages of the life cycle. So this includes your babies to your elderly, to your elite athletes, to pregnant women, which I'll say that being pregnant is similar to being an elite athlete in some ways, <laughs> because you are stressing your body in so many ways. It's just a time of rapid growth and needing a lot of nutrients. So just to start out by reassuring all parents, yes, this can be done. Yes, there's many advantages. But yes, just like anything else we do in parenting, there's things we have to be mindful of. You know what I'm saying? Like we know that we need to watch our kids around bodies of water. We know that we need to be cautious and not give our children choking hazards. So it's going to be one of those things that there are some things that we need to think about, but it's not as difficult as a lot of parents make it out to be. And it's absolutely not a dangerous thing if you want to raise your child on a plant-based diet. That's fantastic. Thank you for your introduction. And thank you for your those reassurances as well. And some of those um, kind of nutrients of focus we're going to talk about uh, shortly, aren't we? Um, yes. So that's great. But what you've just said very much echoes the what I have seen from experts such as yourself, but also in you know the research and, and, and things around that, yes, very much so, that a plant-based diet is safe for all stages of life. Um, so thank you for that kind of reassurance, putting putting that out there. It's funny, it's funny, isn't it? That though that still people are kind of can can question you and give give people this advice, give new mothers or pregnant women this advice with kind of no um, no real understanding of nutrition. It's just what it's just what they have been told and what they have heard and what was traditionally passed on. It's not actually you know the up to date um, position of these. The, the the companies, the organizations, not so much the companies, the organizations that have, have looked into this and have done their research. It's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And it's hard to be a parent because you're questioning yourself all the time, especially yeah. if you're a first time parent, you've never done this before. So you're mm. constantly wondering, am I doing something wrong? So whenever there's people coming up to you saying, you know, I really don't think you should do that. That's not good for your child. And of course they mean well, people mean yeah. well, people yes. want to be helpful, but they're not putting themselves in your position as a new parent who's already having anxiety, who's already stressed about raising this child as best as possible. So that's why I started out with, you have to stand confident, make sure that you are getting information from reputable sources, but just know that it's going to happen over and over and over again in your parenting journey, that people from the outside are going to tell you you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And that's something that I've, I've been witness to for sure in my friends and family. Um, so 
as I understand it, Yami, you didn't always um, have this position around uh, plant-based eating. And I, I've, I've watched your fantastic TED talk where you talked about your path to finding plant-based eating. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? I mean, as well as your journey to becoming a pediatrician, but then you know, also discovering the, the power of plants as well. Yes, absolutely. So I've wanted to be a doctor since I was three or four years old, very young in my life. I decided that that's what I wanted to do because I was so impressed and fascinated by my aunt who I grew up watching, treating people all day long, even in my grandmother's house when she was off duty in the evenings. And I wanted to be just like her. However, as I grew up, and I got chubby, my family got concerned. And I'm Panamanian. I'm from Latin America. And there's quite a bit of fat phobia in my country and in my culture, especially for women. Women, we want them to be lean and light-skinned. So there's lots of different biases in my culture. But for me, it was my body size. And that's what triggered decades-long dieting, yo-yo dieting, disordered eating, issues with my body. However, it's also what prompted me to learn more about health and become interested in health. So it's one of those things that it caused a lot of suffering and caused a lot of pain, but it also brought me to this world mm. because I learned about health and I was interested in about health. But the first reason I was interested in about health and nutrition was because I was trying to shrink my body and reduce my body size. Thankfully, around the time that I hit my rock bottom with my disordered eating, I discovered intuitive eating. And around the same time, I learned about plant-based nutrition and the difference between whole foods, processed foods, the power of eating more plants, the fiber, the antioxidants. And I was able to combine that intuitive, non-diet, weight-neutral approach to eating more plants and it was like I had discovered a gold mine that I never knew was even there, like this treasure chest of knowledge that had been there, but I never knew about it because I never learned about it in med school. I didn't learn about it in residency. None of my friends and colleagues were talking about this. When I decided to try a plant-based diet, I knew nobody that was vegan. You know, it was like a new word for me. <laughs> Finally, I met one friend or one person from a friend who connected me to this person. She gave me some books. I read Diet for a New America. I watched all the documentaries. And by the end of a 30-day experiment that I decided to conduct on myself just to see how it would feel, there was no turning back. And it was from that point on that I started doing more research for children because at the time, my kids were 18 months and six years old. And I wasn't sure as a pediatrician. I had already been practicing a few years is this something that can be done, should be done? What are the har potential harms? What are the benefits? And what I learned really shocked me. It really shocked mm -hmm. me because like I said, nobody had talked about it. And we were approaching, we were mostly looking at food in terms of macronutrients, you know, eat less carbs and then calories, eat less calories. Overall, you just need to eat less. We need to figure out how to make people eat less, <laughs> you know, and Obviously, it was not working. <laughs> so discovering this new path that actually was very health promoting and promoted well-being and longevity and was simple to understand just felt like a whole different paradigm. It just switched up my whole worldview. And then I learned more about it. I spent 
my time learning about it and experiencing it, cooking and new recipes and that kind of thing. And then I was ready to present it to the world, present it to my patients. And that's when I launched my YouTube channel so that I could support other parents who are raising plant-based children. And it's been 11 years since then. Oh, wow. And you're doing fantastic work, reassuring <laughs> and also empowering and, and informing people around around nutrition and this this way of eating, which is fantastic. And it, it was similar to me, you know, you mentioned a 30-day experiment and I think I did the same, but I think it was just 14 days where, like you, not, well, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nutritionist, I'm a, t- a primary school teacher, but I had heard more and more about plant-based eating. I'd watched the documentaries, read the books and everything, and I thought, well, yeah, let's try it. And just even after those two weeks, I, I felt great. And that was enough to kind of spur me on to keep learning more and keep trying. And of course, my um, my opinions around certain things that have, have changed and maybe I'm not quite as, uh, I don't know, militant as I used to be and a bit more relaxed and a bit more soft. But absolutely, just the, the more I read and watch and hear and the more people I connect with I'm just more and more convinced that this is something that is absolutely vital it's a vital message that we need to get out and it's definitely a vital message that we need to get out to children as well you know you mentioned that during your your whole medical training that you didn't cover nutrition and, and I believe it's the same in the UK as well very few but just I was speaking to some doctors on Saturday and I think they said that when they were trained to be a doctor they had about a two-hour lecture on on nutrition out of a five-year medical um, you know, degree, that's how much time they spent on nutrition. And yet so many members of the general public look to their doctor to be a source of nutritional advice, don't they? So yes. this is why it's so important, isn't it, to get this event information out there to schools, to doctors, just everywhere so that we can promote this. <laughs> Absolutely. 100% agree. <laughs> and so that led you to um, setting up Veggie Fit Kids, didn't it? Uh, yes. This fantastic website and resource. Can you tell us about the, the mission of, of that project and what are, you know, you've touched upon it uh, slightly, but what are the benefits of raising children eating mostly, if not entirely, these whole food plant based ingredients? Well, I started Veggie Fit Kids because I couldn't find very much information on the internet that was supporting parents that were raising plant-based children. So that was one of the goals of EduFit Kids to put information out there that was in support of this way of eating for children. But my second part of my mission for that was just to provide information on eating more plants in general. So Mm -hmm. I would talk to my patients and my parents, parents of my patients every day, and I would talk about recipes, but you know, it's hard to, in a short amount of time, really explain something. So I felt like, okay, let me make videos of some of these recipes and let me make sure that they're super duper simple, not just because it's easier for people and it's also affordable that way, but that's the way I live. I don't want to do complicated things most days of the week. And most parents don't either. We want it to be really simple. We want it to be fast. We're running between things all the time. Kids are hungry. So I wanted to provide these easy recipes that were plant-based that parents could have access to. And what was the other part of the question? I lost that, my train of thought suddenly. There was something else you asked me. (laughs) About the benefits for children of eating more plants. (laughs) Most important. (laughs) Um, So yes, the benefits are huge, but I just want to put it into perspective because there's this whole argument, right? Like, that's not safe. You're hurting children or, you know, you can't make that decision for children. 
here in the United States, I'm pretty sure it's very similar in the UK too, because y'all have very similar eating patterns to the United States, but children are deriving 70% of their calories from ultra processed foods. We are nowhere near a whole food plant-based diet. Okay. So my mm -hmm. argument has never been, everybody needs to be hundred percent plant-based. Never have I said that. And the reason is because not only do I not think it's realistic, I know that not everybody desires that, but eating 70% of your calories from ultra processed food is not necessarily going to be the most health promoting way to eat that's going to give us the well being and the longevity we desire. Okay. So we're already at an extreme. I'm not trying to tell people, I want you to go from that to eating only whole plant foods 100% of the time. I just want you to eat more whole plants, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds. Two main reasons. I want to keep it real simple for people to remember. Fiber, my favorite F word. There is no <laughs> fiber in anything that comes from an animal. So meat, dairy, eggs, zero, zero fiber. Okay. Why is fiber so important? Fiber is life. Basically fiber helps us feel full. It combines with water to give us satiety. And most whole plant foods are also going to have water in them. So it's like the perfect vehicle for satiety, helps us feel full. Of course, everybody knows it helps us go to the bathroom. That's what we think of fiber, the number one thing. But its most important role really is it feeds the gut microbiome. And your listeners probably have heard about the gut microbiome and the benefits. I mean, we still have so many decades and decades of research to go to discover the importance and the vitality of the gut microbiome. But that is what our good gut bacteria, our good gut bugs eat is fiber. So if we're not giving them fiber, they can't flourish and they can't support us. It's a symbiotic relationship. So it's very important that we eat fiber. When we're eating a bunch of animal products, when we're eating a bunch of ultra processed foods, which has fiber removed. So they have to remove fiber from these ultra processed foods to increase the shelf life. It's not like people are just like being sinister and being like, let's remove all the good stuff from this food. It's like, how can we make this food as tasty as possible and make it last as long as possible so that we can maximize our profits and profits and keep our customers happy. So it's not like companies are being sinister and thinking about how they can harm us. They're thinking about how they can be a successful business. And so we have to think about that. Whenever we're removing the fiber from these ultra processed foods, we're actually increasing the calorie density and we're decreasing the benefits of eating that food. So fiber is the number one thing. And I could talk about it for a long time, and there's even more benefits to fiber, but we'll leave it at that. Then the second component is antioxidants. So antioxidants fight oxidation in our cells and our body, which is happening all the time just by being alive. We're exposed to stresses from everything, really. That's just being alive. <laughs> but mm -hmm. we can eat these antioxidants, which is found in all whole plant foods, like I said, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds, and it decreases our risk of both acute. So acute disease is going to be things like our colds and our flus and things like that, but also chronic disease. So our heart disease and our stroke and our diabetes and all of those things. So eating these foods 
floods our bodies with these protective mechanisms that help fight the stress that's happening in our bodies every day from just being alive. So fiber and antioxidants is what you're going to be maximizing, the benefits you're going to be deriving from eating more whole plant foods that you are not going to find at all or very little of in animal products and in ultra processed foods. I love the way you've just completely simplified it and said, remember these two things, fiber and antioxidants. And yes, what a world we would live in if we just focused on those things rather than the the confusion around counting calories and low carb, high protein, all these things. And this is a very much a message that I try to promote as well. Focus on fiber. Um, I'm even connected with a nutritionist called Rosie Martin who says, count colors, not calories. And I love that. Another simple message. What if we were counting the the rainbow of colors that we can be eating? Um, It's so true. And you said about some of the stats in America around ultra processed food and and you're right. It's very similar in the UK. In fact, some recent research looked into the, um, the the foods that are being served in the school canteen in in UK schools, but also in their lunch boxes as well. And they found that I think it was 60 or even 65% is ultra processed food. So this is what we are feeding children at the moment. And many of, well, not many around, around 19, 20% of children are eligible for free school meals. So because of their circumstances at home, the the meal that they're provided at school is is free and that's needed by their family. It might be the only hot meal, maybe even the only meal. And that's not an exaggeration for some of these children. And what we're feeding them is ultra process. And like you said, that has been stripped of the nutrients. All it is is hyper palatable. Yes, it tastes great, but it's not the thing that we should be feeding our children, should it? It should be these whole food ingredients. And that doesn't mean, again, like you said, it doesn't mean that 100%. It's just what can we add? What can we add? What can we add? How can we lean more towards this way, increasing these really, um, these superfoods, these amazing, these amazing ingredients? Yes. And you, you also mentioned about um, kind of preparing those, those simple meals as well. And I think that's another misunderstanding around this, isn't it? That, all oh, right, if I'm eating a more plant-based diet, you know, just shifting that way, then it's going to be complicated and it's going to be difficult and it's going to be really expensive. And I try and say, no, no, these are some of the cheapest cheapest foods on the planet. Uh, of course, yes, if you if you buy the kind of the substitute meat products and, and that kind of thing and the labeled um, product products, they ca- it can get pricey. But if you're just learning how to cook rice and beans um, and, and all these other v- varieties of, of that, um, then it, it's not expensive at all, is it? It's very cheap and you can make it really tasty and really filling. Absolutely. And I think it can be misleading because you might follow some influencers or, you know, some popular vegan people on social media and you see these amazing, beautiful meals, which is great. (laughs) And yes, we can do, but most of the time my meals are not Instagram worthy because they're super boring and they're super cheap. Like last night we had a family lift session. And before that we literally had gold potatoes with white beans and corn, avocado and salsa. It was the simplest meal that I was able to prepare in 15 minutes. I even microwaved the potatoes, y'all. I didn't even have potatoes that I had left over from the weekend. I microwaved them and heated up some beans I had made before, added some frozen corn, cut up an avocado. It was very simple. And then we went and did our Max lifts last night. My son, who's 17, who's been plant-based for 11 years, he's deadlifting nearly 300 pounds. 
So just so you know, you don't have to have a protein shake before you go lift heavy weights. You can eat potatoes and beans. (laughs) Uh, Amen to that. And that's absolutely another message that I'm trying to put out there all the time, you know. I'll sometimes go to the gym, uh, post a bit of a workout, and then afterwards show my overnight oats, which is very simple, just some oats, yes. some chia seeds, some fruit and nuts, and say, not a protein shake in sight. <laughs> it's yes. just, it's not something that I consume. And yet I've been in the gym for the, for the last seven, eight months and, and put on muscle, built muscle and increased the amount that I can lift to some pretty respectable amounts, I think. Uh, and, and yeah, not a protein shake in sight. I, I absolutely love that. It's so true. And yeah, similar, like la- last night, I'm going on holiday in a couple of days' time. So I'm at that stage where you're eating everything in the fridge and the freezer. Yes. So last night, I just made a soup, just boiled a load of water with some stock, stuck in all my f- um, frozen veggies that I've got left, you know, some, some peas, some broccoli. I added some lentils, a few other bits of things in the fridge that were going off, whizzed it all up, and I had this mega tasty soup with some bread and as simple as that and as cheap as that. Oh, I absolutely yeah. love it, young mate. I'm so glad you said all that. <laughs> it's brilliant. Sorry, I didn't know if I interrupted you there. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that sounds delicious. I love food, but I I don't mind simple food. And I think that after you've no. been eating this way for a while, you do appreciate simple foods. Like your palate doesn't need this hyper stimulation yeah. all the time because you neuroadapt, which is yeah. the amazing part of our brains. When we start eating more of this food, we're cool with just simple things. And it's so easy to do it at home. We're in the same position. We're going to be leaving next week. And so we're trying to eat up all our leftovers and not buy too many things, but it's really quite simple. It's And my kids are so used to it. They don't complain. They're cool with it. As long as they're fed, they're happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so how, how about we move on to some of the nutrients of focus? Yes. Um, because there are some nutrients of focus, aren't there? Um, mm-hmm. what, what are some of the things that um, parents and carers do need to be aware of? And this is not exclusive to um, plant-based diets, is it? Um, no, this is kind not. of. Oh, so yeah, so this is kind of across the board, but yeah, what would you say to that? You know, what are the nutrients of focus, and 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 how can parents and carers uh, do their best to ensure that themselves and their children are getting these nutrients? This is a great question, and you know, I want to preface this by saying that some people feel like if you need to take a supplement, then you're not doing something right; that it's not quote natural. But we do not live a natural world, and I want to remind people that natural includes premature death and disease and disability, as long as it doesn't kill you your genes will be passed on, okay? So we need to reframe, we need to think about this whole term natural and and what we really mean by that, but what we really want. I don't think that people really want natural because if we had natural, we wouldn't have air conditioning, we wouldn't have heaters, we wouldn't have cars. I don't think that's what people really want. I think what they want is optimal. They want to thrive. And in order to thrive, in order to support our health and to promote longevity and well-being, there are some supplements and some nutrients we need to be mindful of. The one that applies to almost everybody where I live is going to be vitamin D. Vitamin D is actually a hormone that's produced by exposure to sunlight, your skin being exposed to sunlight. I live in the Pacific Northwest. We have a high latitude here. So in a 75% of the year, we can't get enough sunlight 
to produce enough vitamin D, especially if you have darker skin color. So my son and I, we have darker skin color. We definitely need to be supplementing vitamin D, but even people that have more fair skin, they wear clothes when it's cold outside. People aren't going to walk in outside naked and trying to absorb all the sun like a sun shield, you know? So because of that stuff, because we live indoors, because we wear clothes, because we wear hats and sunglasses and we put on sunblock, we're going to need vitamin D. And especially for all moms that are exclusively breastfeeding their babies under a year of age, we recommend vitamin D supplementation to decrease the risk of rickets, which is soft bones. So the majority of my patients, I do have them supplement vitamin D or ensure that they are getting enough from fortified sources. So fortified means that you are adding the supplement into a food that you commonly eat. It doesn't mean that it's naturally there in the food, okay? So vitamin D is an important one for most people. And you might need to talk to your healthcare provider, depending on what part of the world you live in, to see if vitamin D is important for you and your children. For predominantly or exclusively plant-based people, vitamin B12 is also crucial and important. Vitamin B12 is not made by animals, okay? So this is a misconception, misunderstanding. People think, okay, it's not natural because if you need a supplement B12, you should just eat animals. Animals do not make B12. Animals store B12 just like we do, we also store B12 when we eat B12, but uh, we're not talking about cannibalism here, so I won't go on to that subject. Um, but B12 is actually made by bacteria in the gut. And so ruminants, when they eat these bacteria, that bacteria is uh, producing that B12 in their gut. However, we can easily take that as a supplement. And also in fortified foods. So for us plant-based people, it's common in a lot of fortified foods like fortified plant milks. I know in the UK, it's more difficult to find fortified plant milks, but also um, things like nutritional yeast and other products mm. have B12 added, but it's simple just to either take a multivitamin with the B12 or take an individual B12. They have drops, they have all kinds of ways to take it. And you don't necessarily even need to take it every single day, but if you can get to a dose that's sufficient, you could just take it several times a week depending on how your family likes to supplement. So that's the second one. The third one that's becoming more important and I'm talking more about is the omega-3 DHA. So I'll say that even, I'm, I'm a pediatrician, I'm a practicing pediatrician. So even for my omnivorous families, they're not really eating fish two to three times a week. And even if they were eating fish, a lot of kids are not eating salmon they're not eating anchovies. They're not eating sardines. You know, like nobody eats that barely anymore. Some parts of the world, but not in the United States. So these are the fish that are going to have the high omega-3 DHA in them. Again, fish do not make omega-3. This is actually made by algae. The fish eat the algae and then they store it in their fat. But we do know that this DHA is helpful for brain development. So here in the United States, it's recommended for pregnant women to supplement their DHA. And with some research that's come out, like the Shur's eyes, they've been talking about how important mm -hmm. it is for children as well, especially under the age of three. 
So that's something to consider. And the good news is you don't have to eat fish to get it. You don't have to eat fish oil. You can get it from an algal oil because that's the direct source is algae. Um, it tastes like algae, of course, so it tastes fishy. But now I've realized that fish don't taste fishy. Fish actually tastes like algae. Never knew that until recently. <laughs> so anyway, so that's one that might be important for some people to consider as well. So those are going to be the three main ones that you may need to supplement. The stuff that people worry about, most of the time you don't actually have to worry too much about. The things that people worry about the most are going to be things like iron, which mm. you can get plenty of iron from a plant-based diet. And the majority of times you do not need to supplement. But sometimes some kids may become iron deficient for whatever other reason. And your doctor may put you on an iron supplement, but that's usually not because you have deficiency in your diet. Everybody has about the same amount of risk of iron deficiency, whether you're plant-based or omnivorous. Plant-based people do not have increased risk of iron deficiency, okay? Calcium, that's usually not a problem. And also my thoughts on calcium are evolving. I think that our recommendations for the amount of calcium that we need to take in are probably inflated and don't need to be as mm -hmm. high because there are some studies that show that the bones are protected at a lower amount of calcium. But regardless, if you wanted to have the recommended amount of calcium, it is not difficult to do that with fortified plant milks, beans and greens, there's going to be great source of calcium. And then there's other little tricks that you can use like calcium set tofu, blackstrap molasses, mm -hmm. things like that, certain seeds. And so those are other ways that you can ensure that you're getting sufficient calcium, especially if that's a concern, but you can absolutely do that on a plant-based diet. So I think that those are going to be the main ones that people usually mm -hmm. are worried about. Yeah. And yeah, you've ticked off all of the ones that I was uh, hoping you would mention. And thank you again for providing such great reassurance to, to the parents, parents, carers, families out there. Um, I think that's fantastic. And you're, you're right that calcium, I'm glad you, you mentioned it because that does seem to be the one that comes up a lot, especially around children, because we have been fed this message around calcium since we were very young, haven't we? And even for my for myself, when I went plant-based, that was one of the comments that I got. Well, you know, you, you need your calcium. If you're not drinking milk and if you're not eating cheese and, and yogurts and things, then you're going to be deficient in calcium. It, it hasn't, hasn't appeared to be an issue as of yet. Um, and I've also, I have friends and family who have young children who are raising them either completely or, or predominantly plant-based and that's a comment that they've received from their friends and family as well oh, but what about calcium um so it's great to hear from from you that this is um you know some, something we need to bear in mind but it's likely that you're going to be getting that one is going to be getting enough calcium isn't it because of all these fortified products that we get but also because they're found in those those certain foods aren't they that are, that are high in calcium yeah really interesting I want to remind people that bones are primarily formed from stress. So one of the things that nobody talks about, because when we think about calcium, the, the thing we're thinking about is bones, right? Bone health. Mm -hmm. But in order to have strong bones, we need to do weight bearing exercise. So that's actually one of the most important factors. No matter how much calcium you're eating or getting pumped full of, if you're sedentary, 
if you are in a hospital bed for a prolonged period of time, it's going to affect your bone density. It's going to affect your muscle mass. That's why whenever we send astronauts to space, they have to think of really creative ways to put stress on those bones, or they have significant loss of their bone density and their muscle mass. So it's not the calcium that's doing the work. We do need adequate calcium. So don't get me wrong. We do need adequate calcium, but calcium is not the most important thing when it comes to bone health. We also need to make sure we're getting vitamin D, which I think Mm -hmm. that so many people are deficient of. If you're pumping yourself full of calcium, but you're not getting enough vitamin D, then that's also potentially could affect your bone health. And then just adequate calories. So making sure that you're eating enough, eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're satisfied, those kinds of things, which for the majority of children, they are so intuitive with their eating that we don't need to be concerned about that. We just need to make sure that we are providing them with adequate amounts of food. Yeah, and those those healthy th- foods as well. That is the thing about this way of eating, isn't it? You, um, you mentioned near the start of kind of yo-yo dieting and being restrictive perhaps, whereas you can just kind of get your fill completely on these foods, can't you? You can just eat and eat and eat. And um, it's, it's just such a, a nice way to go about it. I'm always full and you know i'm never kind of um never hungry really on this yeah (laughs) it's my favorite part because i i'm a volume eater so i love being able to eat abundant amounts of food yeah exactly ah so right well let's perhaps finish off by getting a bit more practical then because some listeners might now be thinking well they'd like to give this a go or maybe someone is listening that is already plant-based but is running out of ideas for what to feed their children so have you got any tips for parents and carers and maybe even you could um, walk us through a bit of a day of um, walk us through a day of what you and your family eat that would be really kind of cool to hear. (laughs) Sure. Well, for the people that are thinking of making the transition, you know, there's different personality types. I was the all or nothing sort of person, but most people aren't like that. So think about a gradual way that you can start transitioning. Here in the United States, the low hanging fruit is to start replacing your milk and your dairy. We have over 20 commercially available plant milks on the market now. Mm -hmm. And so it's, very possible for you to go out there and find something that tastes good to you, that works with you. You can put it into your coffee, you can use for your cereal, your oatmeal, your smoothies, all of those things. So that's a great place to start. Just start with the dairy and the milk. And that one's particularly important to me because I don't think a lot of people realize some of the potential harms of dairy consumption, especially excessive dairy consumption, but that's for another talk. And then Start then after you've done the dairy replacement, then start with one meal a day. Can you go a fully plant-based breakfast? Do that for a week or two. How is it feeling? You feeling confident? Okay, then let's go to lunch and switch lunch up to a plant-based and then dinner. And then little by little, you can kind of feel it out. But as you do this, tune into yourself, tune into your body. How am I feeling? Am I having more energy? How's my, my digestion? How's my mental clarity? I don't kid you that these things really are affected by what you eat. A lot of people have no clue how the way that they feel is directly related to the food that they're eating multiple times a day. How are your children? How are their behavior? How is their sleep? You know, how are they doing with their school performance? These are things that you can tune into as you make these choices and it helps navigate the path for you so that you can feel reassured that you're going in the right direction. So those are for the people that want to get started. For the veterans out there, 
there that have been doing this for a while and, you know, they, they need that pep talk. Keep going. Just know that this is a normal <laughs> part of life, whether you're raising your children plant-based or omnivorous or whatever. We're going to hit some times when it's just like things feel like a drag and it just feels like, a you know, the day-to-day grind. When that happens, shift into the simplest mode possible. There's some times that we're like literally exhausted. You have all these sports tournaments, you're, you know, having to serve on the school PTA. It's all these things you have to do. Don't make your life difficult. Keep it simple. I like to eat the same thing for breakfast. So it's either going to be oatmeal, which is my favorite with fruit. I like to, you know, Add a little touch of maple syrup, maybe some nuts sometimes, but I know that that's going to hold me until lunch. My children love that too. Or in the summer, it's really hot over here. It's going to be 110 degrees this uh, week. Smoothies are a great way to feel refreshed. You can put all your stuff in there. I put greens in my smoothies so that you're getting your greens. It tastes delicious. The kids love it. So just think of one or two breakfasts that you can run on on autopilot, on repeat. You do not have to make gourmet meals. Same thing for lunch. So for my lunch, I go to the office almost every day. I like to do Buddha bowls with a grain, bean, greens, and then a delicious sauce. My children, they have different things that they pack for their lunches, depending on, you know, my older son is in high school. So he has to pack a lot of a lot of food because he also does weightlifting and he has sports. So he's got one of those lunch boxes that looks like the, the bodybuilder <laughs> It's like so huge. Cause he's there for like 7am until, you know, five thirty six 6pm in the evening. So he has to take a lot of food, lots of snacks, lots of fruits, veggies, hummus, uh, burritos, all plant-based. Um, and then before school, he usually has a power packed smoothie with like beet juice and beet powder and those kinds of things to, you know, Mm -hmm. help them in the gym. And then my youngest son, he'll usually do something simple, like a little wrap that he likes to take to school. He has a light lunch. And then for dinner, it rotates. So keep your dinner simple too. Like we know that every Tuesday here, we're going to have taco Tuesday. It's a tradition for us. And so I just have several different little taco fillings I like to make. And I rotate those every week, but I know that I'm going to make tacos every Tuesday, Wednesday. It's usually going to be some sort of pasta and you can put variety in there with different things like different types of pastas. Now they have pastas made from chickpeas and lentils, and you can use all kinds of different pastas in there, change up the sauce, change out the veggies, but you have this template so that you don't have to keep reinventing the wheel every day and thinking like, oh, what are we going to eat? Just make yourself a simple template. And then every week you just kind of repeat that and it takes the stress off of you. And that's totally okay to do. Nobody expects you to make a brand new meal every single evening when you're exhausted. You just want to put good, nutritious, fiberful, antioxidant-packed food on the table. Take a deep breath and move on to your next thing. Love it. Absolutely. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying, that there's that social media pressure, isn't there, of presenting this Michelin star meal on, on Instagram and Twitter every single evening. And that's not real life, is it? We should we should be celebrating the simple and, and sharing that. Um, post your pictures of your simple meals and just repeatedly post them and say, yeah, I'm having the same thing again. And it's great. Like you, I have um, you know overnight oats every every morning. And what an upgrade that is from what we used to eat, which was that sugary, refined cereal. Um, and we were sa- and we're saying that that's a great start to the kids' day. Yeah, have some 
you know, chocolate rice puffs or, or whatever they are, you know, and that is automatically a huge upgrade, isn't it? And then, like you said, with the lunches and dinners, it can just be so simple. We don't have to overthink it. You know, if I make a curry, I just make a variation of a curry. Every every time I do it, every week, it's slightly different because, oh, I used chickpeas this time and then lentils that time. Oh, I used more of this spice one time and then more of that spice another time. So they always taste slightly different. So in a way, it's kept interesting, but at the same time, it's just, it's the simplest little thing and a, sim- a simple little change and you've, you're, you're just away, aren't you? It's, it's just great. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And I give parents permission to just play around in the kitchen. I was following an influencer on Instagram the other day who called it lawless cooking. And that's exactly how I cook because most mm days of the week, I am not opening a cookbook. I can't even be bothered to open a cookbook. Okay. Like I literally just want to be able to put the pasta in the water to boil, make myself up a sauce, put in whatever veggies, have lawless cooking, have fun with it, experiment with it. And that's the way that you learn to be comfortable in a kitchen. You're ready for anything. You can make something quick. You don't have to worry about like, Oh, I'm going to end up, you know, calling takeout or going to get pizza because you've got this, you can manage it. You can make something quick. That's not going to exhaust you. It's going to be delicious, nutritious, simple, and then you can move on with your day. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So the, Kind of linked to this, I I did have one more question for you that might put you on the spot a little bit. But I was wondering if, um, was there a stage with with your children where they kind of, um, they were a bit more fussy and they didn't want to eat these vegetables all the time? Did did that happen? And and what did you, how did you approach it? Absolutely, absolutely. And that's why I wrote my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, because I went through that stage and it was actually after I brought my youngest home, who is a little bit more selective. My oldest, he was literally eating salsa at 13 months of age and thought that was great. So he has always been more adventurous. And like me, he just loves food. Okay. we That's like our life revolves around food. But when my youngest came home, my oldest realized he had an option to complain about food. He didn't know that before. (laughs) So now I had two kids and, you know, I love cooking. I have to admit. So sometimes I do like to make the gourmet stuff and make it all beautiful, but there is nothing more disheartening than spending so many hours in the kitchen presenting this beautiful meal and your kids turn up their nose and be like, I don't want that. And all of the emotions that go through you as a parent from anger to desperation. And like I always talk about tears because I remember being at the dinner table crying, both of my kids crying. I'm crying because I'm so frustrated. I'm I'm Panamanian. I'm emotional. Okay. Probably not everybody's going to cry in this situation, but feeling that pressure, like my kids have to eat this. If they don't eat this, you know, something bad's going to happen. I'm a bad parent if they're not eating their veggies. So stepping away and letting go of that need to force my kids to eat certain foods and instead using the vision of responsibilities, which is my job is to decide what, when, and where, what am I going to cook? Where are we going to eat it? When are we going to eat it? Their job is to decide if and how much. And that power struggle of like, you have to eat this, or you got to eat another bite before you eat that, or you can't have your dessert before you eat that, actually makes the whole dining room table battle worse. So whenever we Mm -hmm. step back, we take a deep breath, we relax, we present the food, we let the child decide if and how much they're going to eat. 
those struggles actually go away. And then you'll realize with time that your child will accept more and more foods because children are naturally selective between the ages of one and five. It's part of a developmental phase. It's normal. It's not 85% of parents say my child is picky. Why? Because the child is normal. (laughs) You know, they're following Mm -hmm. typical development. And so you just keep following your steps, keep doing the thing, and you'll see that with time it changes. My youngest one now eats everything, no complaint. And sometimes he's not hungry and I don't force my kids to eat if they're not hungry because we shouldn't because that interferes with intuitive eating. And his the way that he eats and his patterns are a little bit different than my older one. So we have to respect individual differences in children, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to make him a different meal every night. No, we have the same dinner. We're going to eat the same food. And then they each of my kids decide how much they want to eat. And maybe it's not their favorite that night, but there's some nights that it is their favorite. And a lot mm. of nights, everybody's super happy at my table, but it's because I have spent years trusting them and showing them my trust after those first few years didn't work out so well. I had to find a different way. Right. So is it just so I understand? Do you kind of just have to ride that wave of that evening where they don't eat anything and just say, okay, and not force anything? Is that what you're saying? Because I think I can remember when I was growing up, I think like you mentioned that it was, come on, you have to eat one more bite if you're going to leave the dinner table. You have to finish this portion of whatever before you leave. Um, it, it, I think it's common sense that that's probably not the way to go, but I don't have that understanding and that experience. But is that what you're saying? That if, if they are saying, no, I don't want to eat it, you just say, okay, n- no problem. Is exactly. Right? Yeah. Right. I don't think it is common sense that we shouldn't force our kids to eat food because that's what a lot of parents do. And it's because they mean well, it's because they're yeah. afraid that if their child doesn't eat this food, they're not going to get the nutrients they need, or it's going to enforce bad habits that the parents thinking, if I don't make you eat this, you're going to think that you don't have to eat any time. But that's exactly what I'm saying. You're not going to force them to eat. However, they don't control what you feed them. That is your right. job. You still, so it's an authoritative parenting style. Basically, you're still going to decide what to buy, what to cook, what to present, but we cannot force our kids to eat because that's their autonomy. Their autonomy is, yes, I'm hungry. Yes, I'm going to eat. Or no, I'm not that hungry or no, this isn't my favorite. So I don't, you know, I don't feel compelled to eat this, but don't go out and be a short order cook and make them something different. That's, that's the key there. Okay. So this does take practice, especially if Mm. you have been used to always forcing your kids to eat. Um, but you know, give yourself grace and just practice it. And you'll see that with time, it gets easier and easier. Brilliant. Right. Well, thank you so much for clarifying that. That's, uh, again, really, really great to hear. Um, oh, brilliant. So <laughs> we're going to start wrapping up now. Um, I've, I always finish an episode with a couple of questions. Before I do, just want to say thank you so much for your time. Um, I think you have offered so much information and so many reassurances and just the passion that you have brought to this subject, which is very, very evident, is is just brilliant to to kind of be a part of. And I really can't wait to share this episode. Yeah, before I let you, you <laughs> before I let you go though, um, a couple of questions like I mentioned. So one of those is what are your three tips to thrive, Yami? I always ask uh, guests to um, share three takeaways from this conversation that the audience can go away and apply today. Now, lots of things you've already covered, but if you could condense it down and just offer three tips, that would be amazing. Okay. Number one, take a deep breath. You're an amazing parent. Your kids love you. And I know that you're doing the best you can for your child. So just be confident in your parenting. 
take a deep breath and keep going. So that's my number one tip. Number two, eat more whole plant foods, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds, meals, and snacks, anywhere you can get them in. Even if you don't want to go hundred percent, that's fine. Just where can you get more whole plant foods throughout your day for yourself and for your children? And number three, have fun. Our kids are only small for a small amount of time, for a short amount of time. My 17-year-old only has one year left at home before he graduates. This is supposed to be a fun process. Don't stress out so much about it. Enjoy it. Don't take everything so seriously. Do the best you can, and you're doing great. Love it. Love all of them. Brilliant. (laughs) And then the final question is, what's that one lesson that you wish you, you had been taught when you were a child? Well, there's so many, so many, (laughs) but I think this is one of the things I wish I had been taught that to look at food in terms of what are the benefits that it can give me in how I feel and in pursuing the activities I want to pursue. Because I think even children understand that instead of looking at food as, oh, that's going to make you fat or that's not healthy for you. Let's look at food as how can we use food to help align with what we want to accomplish in this life. For little kids, it's just playing and being with their friends. Mm -hmm. So we can talk to kids about this food is fuel to help you feel good, to help you play as long as you want. For teenagers, this is the fuel to help you in your sports, to help you with your studies. You want to go Mm -hmm. do these amazing things in the world. These are the kinds of foods that can help you accomplish those big goals you have. I wish somebody would have taught me that instead of telling me, that I needed to shrink my body size to be loved and worthy in this world. So instead of focusing on body size, I really want parents to focus on well-being, longevity, how we can support kids on that path. Really important message. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Right. So people have heard you, they've heard your passion, they've heard um, all the information that you're sharing as well. Where can they find you on on social media, website, book, anything that you'd like to mention here, please do before I let you go. Okay. So my website is dryami.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com. I also have, of course, veggiefitkids.com, which has lots of videos, information, and lots of resources on there. So you can find other websites and social media accounts that might support and align what you're trying to do. And my podcast, I'm also a podcast is called Veggie Doctor Radio. Super fun. I've been podcasting for almost five years now, over 200 episodes. And my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available on all online platforms in paperback, ebook, and audiobook that I narrate myself. So yeah, join me anywhere. On Instagram, I'm at the Dr. Yami, and that's where I'm active the most on social media. Brilliant. Fantastic. So listeners connect with Yami for sure. Okay. Right. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your, your advice and everything and your reassurances that you, that you have offered me and and my audience as well. Look forward to staying in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was super pleasurable. I had a great time. Okay. So what are your thoughts? Did you find out anything new during that episode? Are you inspired to introduce more plants to your children? Or maybe did it offer you some reassurances around what you are already feeding your kids? Yami and I would love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, just get in touch via social media. I truly hope you enjoyed the episode. 
As always, I'd love to get your feedback. You can leave up to a five-star review on Spotify and Apple. And please, if you haven't already, do follow the show wherever you listen to it and share it with friends, family and colleagues you think will be interested. Thank you for tuning in and I look forward to bringing you another episode soon.